When you take a deeper look at Lewis Seen's night against the Seahawks on Thursday, you see where it's going, you see where it's headed, and you see that it's worth pursuing. Let me explain. It's the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You liked it on three, one, two, three. You, like you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, Luke Braun. Let's find some joy today. You can find the Locked On Vikings podcast wherever you find your favorite shows, whether it is uh, YouTube, Amazon Fire, or Roku, if you download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app, or a podcasting app, or any audio listening place like SiriusXM, you can find us there. Uh, Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. Thank you so much to those of you who listen to this show every single day. My hashtag every day is I appreciate you all so, so, so much. Today on the show, uh, it's, it's like a tape review show. We'll talk about a whole bunch of the things that I noticed watching all of the All-22 film of the preseason game. And I, I some of the, like, you know, editing some of the initial reaction stuff. And that's going to be the way that things go. If you're new to Locked on Vikings for the season, um, for one... You may have noticed there was kind of a bonus thing after the show or after the uh, the right after the preseason game, a little audio from the postcast with me and Sam Ekstrom. That'll be after every game. So you can look forward to that. You can also catch it live on YouTube uh, on the Lockdown Minnesota Sports YouTube channel. Um, if you just want to like pop in right after every game. So that's going to be a thing that goes on. But also kind of the way that I do this is look instant reactions are instant reactions right well i'll talk about whatever i'm thinking immediately after the game on the show that'll go up on like monday after the game so i'm glad that we kind of get this chance I'm, I'm this is what makes me really grateful for this being like a daily show because i do get the opportunity to come back the next day and say hey i actually you know have a different thought on this before we have to like spin into the next game so let's do that and I want to start with Lewis Seen, who I thought had a really, really rough night. And you could still argue that, I think. If you really wanted to be mad about that night, I think you have enough grounds to be. But I get it, I guess I'll say. I, I get it. So here's what I noticed with Lewis Seen. For one, he when he sees what is happening on a play, in particular in run plays, which develop more quickly, and, and this is harder on run plays, especially counters and things with lots of pullers, he triggers downhill and closes so fast. That first play, you might remember that kind of round the neck tackle against uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba that he came all the way across the field to, to do. He did that like four or five times in the game. And I don't think that really dawned on me just how impressive those reps were until you really can zoom out and see how far away he was coming from. And the problem was that he wasn't rapping. He wasn't tackling properly. He had one really good tackle in the middle of the field on a second and 20. Um, and a whole bunch where he didn't rap properly. He didn't get his head up properly. And he just sort of went for a big hit thinking that, you know, he was going to uh, blow a guy up. But it was like Zach Charbonnet, who's a bowling ball of a human. And he just bounced right off him. Um, and, and it's really, really, really frustrating because you see like the hard part is getting there. The tackling is the the thing you drill like maybe the most over your football career from starting football, starting tackle football and whatever, you know, level you started at, which I believe for Lewis Seen was pretty early 
all the way up through the pros. You tackle every day. You always drill tackling. I mean, that's the fundamentals, right? Um, so <laughs> that's 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 the part you should be able to take for granted. The free safety coming in, you know, being a part of a run fit, he kind of has no business being a part of. That is the special thing. I mean, that's the rare thing. You do not see that from free safeties. You're not getting that from Anthony Harris or Andrew Sandejo. You are getting that from Lewis Seen. Um, it's really exciting if he could wrap up and tackle on those plays. He would have had probably been the best player on the field. It's just get that basic down. So <laughs> it's like, I don't know how you deal with that. You know, I, like you look at that play and I think about like thinking from a, a perspective of a PFF, which as I predicted, gave him a horrible grade as uh, in the twenties or something. Um, and I think about that, like, okay, you're the free safety on the backside of the play. And you come knifing all the way across down from a 15 yard deep alignment and you meet the guy in the hole at the line of scrimmage on an outside run on the other side of the field. Deeply insane. Just like moving at a, at making the rest of the field look like it's moving in slow motion. Um, and then you miss the tackle. And from a, a like a PFF charting and grading perspective, they're going to say miss tackle. That's a ding. And I don't know, like... It's debatable. Was that a bad play or a good play? What kind of question are you at, at trying to answer here, right? If he misses that tackle, I guess the the like analytic and charting principle is well, if he missed one tackle, he's that much more liable to miss tackles in the future, right? A guy who misses tackles will continue to miss tackles. Uh, and if it's if that's the only tackle he ever missed, then that's probably not going to affect the math that much. But each tackle increases your likelihood. That seems like logic to me. So, you know, we'll we'll downgrade him for that and we'll add it to our math accordingly. But I guess the contention that I would have is when you see a guy knife across the play from a crazy range, doesn't that also imply that he's going to keep doing that? And which one is more likely to go away? Which kind of thing sustains itself more when you see it. And I see those plays where guys knife across the field like that. They're not common. It's a hard, hard, hard thing to do. But a guy who can do it is a guy who can do it. Like, you don't do that on accident, right? Um, and you definitely aren't going to make an effort to stop doing that, but you are going to make an effort to stop tackling uh, or stop missing tackles, right? That's going to be something that he probably drills a lot. There was a, a play that he probably got that note. There was a play where he missed a tackle because he's been going too high. And that's what's been wrong with his tackling form. He comes in too high and he doesn't break down, which is part of it. He's coming in like a bat out of hell, right? And he's, he's coming in at such a high speed. And this is how he did it in college. He would just light a guy up. He could hit you at full speed, light you up. And he wouldn't really have, you wouldn't really have to like shoot the hip, wrap and tackle, right? Wrap and drop. Um, but in the NFL, you kind of do have to shoot the hip, wrap and drop when you're coming in from that. Uh, at that speed. And if you can't do that at that speed, that's fine. Then you have to break down like you're a punt gunner um, and, you know, chop your feet a little bit, slow yourself down. You're not coming to a full stop. You're just trying to get yourself under control. Uh, and he's not taking that step. So maybe that's the fix. Maybe you say, all right, you just got to break down before you tackle, buddy. Like that's just how, and you're going to be that much slower. And we maybe give up two extra yards when you come in and make that tackle. But a two yard gainer is, or a line of scrimmage play from the free safety. Like either way, that's bananas. So we're taking it. But honestly, I think it's just a matter of drilling it, which I remind you, he spent most of his rookie year on the rehab field. You're not drilling tackling when you're rehabbing your leg. You've been working to get your body right for so long that the speed of the game just isn't there for you uh, anymore. And you have to get it back, and knock that rust off. Um, and that's the other thing is in covered situations, there was a hesitancy. I, I think he's looking at 
route concepts and knowing what he's seeing, but not trusting it. Um, there are times when he sees it and he goes toward it, but he like will hesitate or he'll keep his depth when he really should be driving down on something. There was a, uh, a, a big long catch, uh, Yankee rep that was like a big deep over with a clear out and scene was the free safety there and it was cover three and I'll spare you the boring scheme stuff, but basically that, that was his job was he was in the middle of the field, the, the deep over ran in front of him and he was supposed to nail down on it, but he kept his depth. He ran with it, but he stayed high and he was still 10. The, the route was 10 yards in front of him. So he was 10 yards away from the route when that ball was thrown. He couldn't break on it. He's got to nail down on that. That's why they call it nailing down. You got to get to it uh, and, and contest that ball. But he kept his depth, which is kind of a, I don't really trust this kind of move. What if I'm wrong? What if it's, he's going to go a lot deeper? And what if, you know, if I, if I overcommit to this, he's going to double move past me or something. He was looking at Yankee. He knew it was Yankee, um, but he just didn't trust it. So I, I think he's, you know, get, get a couple of confidence boosting plays and get that tackling under wraps. And I like, we got a dude here. And I think the luxury is we don't need him right now. <laughs> We've got Metellus who's playing well, Bynum who's playing well. I mean, these guys are, have been very much anointed as bona fide contributors. And then of course, Harrison Smith on the back end as well. We've got three dudes that can be a big nickel package that Brian Flores loves to use. So there's no like urgency here. Um, I think there you you get this sense of urgency with a first round pick where you go, this guy needs to be on the field right away. And if he's not on the field right away, we have to start hitting the panic button and trade him to Buffalo for a seventh round pick. <laughs> it's not really though, right? I think I get it. I, f- I feel okay about it. Maybe he'll miss some tackles, and if he can get the, some of that confidence, I don't know. I'm I'm I, I'm coming away a lot less concerned than I was before. I think it's still fair to call it a bad game, but it's one that I think we can be a little more forgiving of, I guess. Um, th- there was another guy that got a lot of flack that I sort of want to dive into, and I've got a few other odds and ends as well that I want to make sure that I get to. But first, uh, it is fantasy football season. And as you get ready for your draft, a great warm-up might be to join a Best Ball at Underdog Fantasy, sponsor of today's episode. Underdog's Best Ball Mania Tournament is the largest fantasy football contest of all time, and it's back even bigger. $15 million prize pool, three mil to the winner. Completely insane. Uh, A Best Ball is one live snake draft. No waivers, no trades. You just draft your team and you let it ride. Underdog will pick your best lineup for you every week. So it's it's fire and forget. You're not joining a whole other league and it's not a whole big commitment like that. Um, but you can see how that team progresses over the course of the year. Uh, you can try it out at underdogfantasy.com or you can find them in the app store and sign up with promo code locked on and you can get your first deposit doubled up to $100. That's underdog fantasy promo code locked on to join that underdog best ball mania tournament. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day every single day. My hashtag every day or shout out if you can. I love hearing from you. Um, the next guy I want to talk about was Ed Ingram. Um, I think he played like 13, 14 reps. There was a lot of bluster about, ooh, what does it mean for Ed Ingram to like get reps in the preseason when none of the other starting linemen were? Are we signing Dalton Reisner? Um, <laughs> all the reporting on Reisner, by the way, if you're looking for an up- update on that, and guys like Ronald Darby, Kareem Hunt also visited, um, is that they're they're just kind of Rolodex things. All right, we got to work out. We got to know him a little bit. We got him on speed dial. We have no plan to sign him right now, but if the need arises in the middle of the season, we got your phone number. 
that's the situation right there. So I, I would, if you're sitting there holding your breath to say, you know, are they finally going to start Reisner? It feels like it's imminent. It's not imminent. A thing needs to happen, an injury or a, a trade or a cut or something weird needs to happen and to change the dynamic. And then they'll maybe call him up. Um, but hey, yeah, it was weird that he played in the preseason. And oh, did I just see him lose a bunch of reps? Uh, what's going on here? So I did a Patreon video at this, uh, patreon.com slash NFL. I'm going to try to post two or three a week um, as, as best I can for, you know, however I can with like my schedule and stuff. But Ingram was one, and then I'll do a Big Lewis scene one as well. That sort of talks about some of the stuff I, I went over in the beginning here. Um, so go check that out. But I, I would say there was one rep of Ingram's that I thought was like actually really bad. There was one where it looked like he got thrown down. I think if you look really, really close, I'm pretty sure he tripped. You can see his toe kind of flip flick against uh, somebody else's leg or something like that. And he loses his balance and then it like looks a lot uglier than it is. Um, that's something like whenever a lineman gets tossed like that, that's like always the first thing is like, okay, was this really that dominant or did he just get his feet tangled? Um, a lesson I've learned the hard way by being wrong about stuff one too many times. But there was another one where he got backdoored really bad on the backside of his own rep. And he got, and you know, he, he, you, you take your bucket step to the play side and then the defensive lineman takes his initial step to the backside of the play. And then suddenly he's just in the gap and he's completely out it like away from you. Um, that's fine. That's completely fine because on a zone run, on an outside zone run, your responsibility is the gap to your play side. So if the run is to the left, it's the gap to your left. If the run is to the right, it's the gap to your right. So if he wants to go to the gap to your backside and come on up, that's actually kind of fine. Um, especially if you're, you know, the backside guard, the right guard on a left side run, which is where this happened. Like, he can do that. So you can sort of afford to super overcommit with your bucket step. Because if he wants to backdoor, if he wants to hesitate just so he can get up in the backfield and then start pursuing, that's a defensive tackle chasing Ty Chandler. Yeah, you can try that. Good luck. And you know what? If you make that play, God bless it. You did it. Um, but committing that hard is going to create more L's than or more W's than L's. So I don't mind that technique at all. The only play I didn't actually like was the miscommunication and a lot of people uh broke this down but essentially he thought the center was sliding with him and the center wasn't sliding with him so he passed a guy off to nobody kind of like a coverage bust communication issue you go back to the sideline he and austin schlopman talk about it and it didn't happen for the, again for the rest of the night although i think it was like the second to last rep but watch it like if this keeps happening then yeah we gotta have a longer discussion about it but honestly this is the kind of thing that yeah you have a discussion about it and then the problem is solved and i think there is you know, when every, when all you have is a hammer, anything looks like a nail. And when the only, like, think about what are the team's options when a player is struggling? As I say, say, you know, Eddie Grimm were doing really, really, really bad. Okay, what are the player's options? What, like, brainstorm, what can you think of? You think of benching him, cutting him, um, you know, replacing him with something else. All various versions of fire in the guy. Uh, <laughs> but what about what the Vikings did this offseason, which is committing to using more skill players in the run game, 12 personnel, 21 personnel, and stuff like that. Give him more double teams, make things a little bit easier. Um, there are schematic levers that they can pull that help to hide a guard that is struggling. And I don't even think he struggled that much. Um, but 
if there's a problem, solve it. Don't fire the guy that has the problem. And I think that's a principle that I've always held for years and years. It's like, hey, you know, we, we don't fire somebody every time they screw up. If you do that by the end of the year, you won't have a team. Um, so it it's a bad rep, so you can mark him down for it. But it doesn't bug me in the sense that I don't really fear that as a consistent problem moving forward until I like see it a few more times. And beyond that, he had some really dominant reps, really pushing guys into the, you know, two gaps across. Um, he has a very mean punch that pushes people a lot back. And it's weird. Like, I don't want to cape for Ed Ingram. It's just, I don't want to, uh, but I don't like it when people are really confidently wrong. Uh, and I can say with a decent degree of, of confidence that he had at worst a fine game. Um, and it's certainly not one that the coaches are going to be concerned about. So I wouldn't uh, wouldn't hold your breath on any imminent Dalton Reisner happenings because of Ed Ingram's PFF grade or whatever the hell. <laughs> um, there's some other stuff. I guess let's stick with the O-line a little bit uh, because watching the second team O-line and really focusing in on it, honestly, I thought those guys did great. Vidarian Lowe has tightened. He really has tightened his feet up. And that was something I was asking from him when I made a video on him not too long ago on his last preseason tape last time we saw him play. Um, so he, I thought he did well. I thought Brandell did decently as a left guard. There was one sack that I thought was on him, uh, not reacting to the stunt properly, but then there was another rep where he did so beautifully. So again, that's another like, okay, here's a problem. And then look, they solved it in real time. I am now no longer worried about this. I, so I, I kind of see the vision and I think, I, like, my eyebrow raise, I'm sure a lot of your eyebrows raised, too, when you heard Blake Brandell has moved to guard and Vidarian Lowe and Oli Udo are the tackles. Udo was a different case. He had a fair amount of L's, but a fair amount of really good reps, too. And that's kind of who he is as a, as a tackle. It's very up and down, which is not necessarily what you want from O-line, but, hey, at least there are ups. But it's like, okay, I see the vision for this line. I get it with... Udo and Vidarian Lowe as sort of the backup tackles and maybe even those guys competing for one roster spot as the swing tackle with Blake Brandell also as kind of the quote unquote fourth tackle, even though we've got him as a guard. Hey, if we're down three guys, we're in a good enough pinch to ask you to move back. Um, maybe not. Maybe they just keep all these guys and uh, and Austin Schlotman, like maybe they keep 10 linemen, who knows. But I see Vidarian Lowe coming into his own as a tackle and I see Blake Brandell um, not quite thriving, but at the very least making it as a guard. And I go, okay, their plan made sense to me. I get it. The only guy on the O line that really bugged me consistently, I thought Schlotman had a pretty poor night. Um, just a, a lot of misses, a lot of getting beat, a lot of ending up in one on ones and getting cooked. Uh, so I don't know, mark that down. But there's a whole bunch of other odds and ends and random players that I want to talk about. The stuff I either want to amend or stuff that I just didn't notice that I want to tell you about. So we'll sort of go into like rapid fire mode right after I talk to you about uh, the the best place in the world to gramble. Football season is, of course, right around the corner. The real season, and that means there's still a little bit of time for you to get in your, your preseason bets, your over-unders for yardage totals and stuff like that, your, your win totals, division futures, although you can continue to bet on those in the season at FanDuel as well. And right now, there's a really, really great promo going on. When you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. So you can just say, like, 
Super Bowl Chiefs. I just bet on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Probably not the greatest. I think they're the favorites still, so the worst odds. But then every time the Chiefs win a regular season game, you get bonus bets. Just pick any team and get bonus bets for every single victory. And you can spend those bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more, whether or not your Super Bowl winning bet actually wins. And hey, that could win too. And you get even more. FanDuel.com slash locked on is where you can go claim that. The, the app is safe, secure, and super easy to use, and it pays out instantly when you win. So once again, go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. So let's get into some of the rapid fire stuff that I like noticed. Uh, and I guess uh, let's start with the quarterbacks because I came away thinking, man, both Mullins and Hall didn't have a great night. But I remember thinking like, hey, at least Mullins had a shot, but he was back in the pocket a lot and double clutching and being really indecisive. And that was really weird. And Jaron Hall at least has this like O-line excuse where, you know, guys like Jack Snyder and Christian Delorio are just giving up instant pressures, fl- flushing him out of the pocket. And, um, you know, receivers were not uncovering in the scramble scramble drill. What's he supposed to do about that? And I, I stick by one and not the other. So the Jaron Hall half watching it, it's just like the guys just didn't work. The offense just didn't happen. Um, and, and I really struggle to look at times when it like was really, truly his fault. What I will say is I think he's reading slowly right now. Um, and I think he's, he's, finding the right place to be, but he's just not getting there quickly. Uh, and that's making everything just a little bit harder. Now, I don't think the O-line, like if he were reading quickly, I still think he would have been under pressure. Um, like he's not causing the pressure, but it like would in other situations. So you just kind of want to see him look a little bit more comfortable. But hey, you know what? Rookie, I get it. New team and all that. Um, it's he's still making the proper reads like he knows this offense It's very similar to the offense he ran at BYU. It's just hey, things got to quicken up a little bit. We're at, we're at the next level. Uh, Mullins, on the other hand, I came away thinking he was a lot better than I felt on the night. Um, I think he still played a little hesitantly and a little overly cautious. There are moments um, there's one. It was actually the same play where Ed Ingram had the miscommunication and gave up the QB hit. It was a third and short, uh, or no, it was a third and long, I believe, uh, or something like that, or, or maybe it was quick game. I can't remember. Anyways, there was a flat route that he wanted, and I thought he had a chance to do that, where he actually could have flipped up like a big old hand grenade, and um, it was Johnny Munt, probably could have gone up, high-pointed it, you give your guy a chance, and he he clutched that. He, he thought about going, he winded that up, and then pulled it back down, wound that up, and then pulled it back down. So it's like, you know, either throw it or don't like, don't give me the, the hesitation. And then he had to flip his hips, turn and get it to, to Ty Chandler who ended up converting on a, a really nice run after the catch. Um, and he, he was under pressure from Ed Ingram. So he had to process that quickly. So it was like a, a funky play, but like also kind of impressive that he got from one part of the progression and flipped his hips and turned it on a pretty fast clock because he was under pressure pretty fast. But, like, there was a whole bunch of stuff like that where, like, there was a throw and it was it was like, yeah, I guess you could see that this is open, but you can kind of get that maybe, like, you could get why maybe he didn't do it. Uh, but then he would sort of try and then pull it back down and double clutch and run around and I guess hesitant. Like, I, I think hesitant is as a more mild term than indecisive, you know? He just, sometimes he had it and then it just, he needed a little bit of an extra second to really feel confident in it. 
Um, I want to see him, I don't know, play a little more YOLO ball. Like if he shows up against the Titans and he throws a couple interceptions because he's just, he's like forcing stuff uh, or he's just like trying to make a throw and it just doesn't work out or whatever. He puts the ball up and, you know, the receiver gets beat. Like I, I would take that honestly from him. I just want to see him take some chances. Um, and, and I, I hereby promise I won't get too mad at interceptions if they're just about, Hey, you know, he, he took a chance and it didn't work out. Uh, then I think that would be good, a good progression for him. Um, D Wayne McBride's game wasn't as bad as I thought. I know there was like special teams, the kickoff thing. I actually missed that play because of issues with the broadcast that the, the like NFL network broadcast that I was watching was having. Um, so I can't speak to that, but a lot of other people have mentioned it. So I guess I should bring it up too. Um, but there was, there was one play where he misread mid zone and I explained it after the night, but I'll, I'll go over it quickly again. Basically, if the C gap player on mid zone, so you're running behind the tackle, your aiming point is you aim right at the rear end of the tackle. And if the defensive end is in the C gap is outside the tackle, you got to cut that baby in. Um, and you will end up doing that like nine times out of 10 because that it's a defensive end. Of course, his whole job is contained. What run fit doesn't have a contained player. So it kind of always happens. And he tried to bounce one outside that he just shouldn't have bounced outside. But there were a couple other times there's like a fourth and one. He's getting a lot of flack for 100% not his fault. I think that was on Ben Sims or Colin Thompson. I forget if it was 48 or 49, but one of the tight ends uh, that just didn't win a block. And I thought he like made the right decisions and stuff, but I think he just... I don't know. I guess you could say he got poorer run blocking on his plays, which is mostly just a circum, uh, uh, yeah, circumstance, just a, a factor of chance. Um, and not to take anything away from Ty Chandler's game though. Ty Chandler did like handily outplay McBride, but I didn't look at McBride's game from the, the slowed down all 22. I actually get a chance to really analyze what's going on. And I didn't come away from that process thinking, man, that dude sucked or anything like that. Well, one mistake, and I guess the special team stuff he didn't like. And he's not winning the kick return job anyways, because that's Kenny's uh, with a bullet. And then the last thing is sort of a minor one. It's Thayer Thomas, uh, who's, I mean, he's not really in contention for the roster right now, but obviously rough game for him with the the muff thing. Um, but also, there's just some moments where you can see him not be fast enough. And he's such an interesting case because his routes are so sick. His routes rock like the way he runs them is really cool. He's just slow. He just he just tops out at slow and he can't. There, there was a play where he was a, a shallow cross on a flood concept for Jaron Hall, who was flushed out of the pocket. He was the check down and he just did not get over to that side of the field in time before the quick pressure was there. You just got to be a little faster. And so I don't know if he's NFL fast. So that even puts like a practice squad slot in jeopardy because what you know, when you're making practice squad decisions, you're either putting guys on there that you think have a future and a chance to make the team in future years, and he's not going to grow faster as he gets older, uh, or and he's also an older prospect, um, or you're bringing in people that you do eventually want to put on the field in the case of a lot of injuries um, or somebody you do want to stash for special teams or whatever it is. And with a special teams blunder and also this sort of detrimental factor that makes it so it's like I just can't really be comfortable with you in the offense I just don't really see that that's kind of what I saw in that game uh the, like a proof of concept of something I was worried about with him because I was pulling for him he's a fun player uh with with the baseball thing and all that if you look, go back and listen to the Everman series but 
that's all I got for the uh, preseason game. Um, tomorrow's Twitter Tuesday. So anything else you want to ask about it, please feel free to do so. You can leave a YouTube comment. You can send it to me at Luke Braun NFL or at Locked On Vikings on Twitter. You can send an email to Locked On Vikings podcast at gmail.com or leave a uh, fill out the Google form in the show notes. You can ask longer form questions there. For whatever happens then, I will see you there. And as always, skull.